this episode of the This Is Believe In podcast, I'd like to welcome back Tim Ryder. Tim, how are you doing? Doing great, James. Thanks for having me. Well, I figured it's been a very important couple of days uh, across uh, this country. There was a vote, everything went down, and Steve Cohen owns the Mets. (laughs) (laughs) For, For the first time in a very, very long time, and for some Mets fans for the first time ever, um, just unbridled optimism in uh, in Queens. It's uh, it's something else. It's a sight to behold. There's an energy through the fan base that um, you know, even like deep playoff runs, World Series runs, you haven't seen just excitement like this. And uh, it's a nice, <laughs> it's certainly a nice distraction from everything else that's going on right now. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm sure you and most Mets fans, if not all Mets fans everywhere, are very excited about the fact that you go from the Wilpons, who were, I'll, I'll be kind of blunt, frugal at times, uh, to <laughs> Steve Cohen, who I like to refer to as fuck you money, where he can just throw money everywhere he wants to, and he really doesn't have to worry about consequences because he's the richest owner in baseball. Well, I guess that's the beauty of the deal is that, you know, the Wilpons, they took a beating in the, uh, in the Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme. Um, well, at least on paper, they took a beating mm-hmm. and, um, you know, the Mets were there. I, I don't want to say that they were living and dying with, uh, with the organization, but it's, you know, between the team and the, and the network that was, uh, you know, their main source of income and, with the Mets losing as much money as they did every season, again, on paper, uh, and SNY being the only real, um, you know, moneymaker. And they had a, you know, right now they had $850 million in debt against the network. So, um, you know, to go from that to a guy like Steve Cohen, who, like you said, he's just, you know, he could just kind of shake his pocket and say, oh, here's the $2.4 billion for the team and shake his other pocket. And, oh, and here's the billion for SNY. Uh, you know, it, it's um, it, it's going to be nice to not have the restrictions of money. If if the Mets want a player, and if the Mets think that a uh, you know player A can make them a, 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 a or get them closer to a World Series championship, you know, money's not going to be a restriction anymore. And you know, that's that's not to say that the Mets are going to go spend stupid money. Um, because you know, you look at a guy like Cohen who certainly does his homework. You can tell from his other his nine to five job as a, uh, as a hedge fund manager mm-hmm. who's done very well, you know, he puts the work in and he kind of makes the moves that are right for this, you know, this moment he brings in Sandy Alverson, who's again, a very meticulous, very, uh, you know, very detail oriented uh, type of, you know, we know him as a general manager. Now he'll be president of, uh, of I guess, team president, I should say. But, um, yeah, I think they're going to make very um, calculated and, and, and deliberate moves. And it's going to be a nice change to not have uh, the Wilpons kind of just, you know, throwing the monkey wrench and everything and, and playing, uh, whether it's a bait and switch. You know, I can't tell you how many times we saw the Wilpons, um, you know, they'll put into the papers, they're going after some big free agent. And then, uh, oh, after he signs with someone else, oh, the Mets, well, we gave him this much. He he just went for the money somewhere else. And, you know, over time, you learn these stories aren't true and they make up injuries. You know, this is going back to Vlad Guerrero back in the early 2000s. Oh, they're talking about his bad back. Well, you know, for 10 more years, he hit like 320 uh, in Anaheim. And, uh, 
you know, it, they, you know, they, they, they pulled all the tricks and yeah, you know, more bullshit. That's, that should be the Steve Cohen motto. No more bullshit. Yeah. Uh, not that this happened in particular last year, but you know, the Mets could have said that, Oh, we're going in on a, on Garrett Cole. We're going to do whatever it takes to get Garrett Cole to come play in Queens. Then it doesn't happen. Then they go and sign Rick Porcello, and Mike, Mike Waka. And, uh, it's a little bit of, uh, you know, elite upper echelon pitcher to, uh, I guess we're going to pitch this guy. <laughs> well, yeah. And they, and you know, they had that option on the table with Zach Wheeler. I mean, mm-hmm. since 2018, since he came back from Tommy John, which kept him on the shelf for like two seasons, um, Zach Wheeler has been a, you know, a top 10 major league pitcher. Uh, judging by by F war, mm-hmm. but um, you know, and the Mets, they did all they could to kind of tear him down. You know, Zach Wheeler, and this is coming from direct sources. Zach Wheeler gave the Mets every opportunity to match their to match the Phillies' offer, and they didn't even return the phone call. And this is coming directly from from the Wheeler camp, from a source familiar with what was going on. They didn't even return the phone call, and now you know Trevor Bauer's name's getting tossed around, and he wants. Steven Strasburg money, but he's coming off an 11 game, you know, a really good 11 game stretch mm-hmm. and uh, a good season two years ago. So, you know, they had the opportunity to kind of patch things up with Wheeler last year and bring him in. And boy, he would have served them well this year. And again, running Porcello and Waka. And once the injuries hit, you got Peterson, who outperformed everybody coming from the minors up. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they, they um, just uh, no more of this stuff. You know, there's going to be a charted course, and it's going to be beautiful. Yeah, it's really good to see a team like the Mets, they're in a major market, to not be afraid to spend money. Because that was just one of the more puzzling things from, you know, from outside looking in. I know there's more to it than, you know, they play in New York, they should just spend money. Obviously, Madoff and all this other uh, unknown information with the Wilpons. But it's just, you know... Being a Cleveland fan, I understand the financial constraints that exist in Cleveland. Those shouldn't be there for the Mets. But now with Cohen involved and he's running the show and he's got just money he can just, you know, shell out if he wants to. Not that he'll just be reckless and, spend, like you said, spend stupid money like the Phillies said they were going to last year. And uh, <laughs> he can. It doesn't necessarily mean that he will. Uh, is there any like free agents that you're thinking that the Mets should or may be involved in? I, I've seen, of course, you know JT Realmuto. I've seen George Springer. I've, as you mentioned, Trevor Bauer. Oh, however, the the Trevor Bauer uh, thing's a little bit more nuanced than just give him a whole bunch of money. Um, and I know he's, uh, I'll call him an enigma because he's a very good pitcher, but he can be unlikable on the internet at times. <laughs> you know, um, of course, just from a baseball point of view, and in Bauer's case, sure, yeah, you can look it up, and we're not going to get into all that. And mm-hmm. Yeah, he can be uh, he can be a bit of a, a, a of a, a pompous asshole, and you know, I mean that in the the least uh, you know the least malicious way possible. But that's just kind of how he comes off. Yeah. If I'm being honest. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with confidence on the field. I think that's a great thing. And he has a ton of that. And boy, like, you know, this year he looked fantastic. But, uh, you know, is this a guy I'm going to even give Zach Wheeler money to? I don't think so. I think the Mets, you know, they certainly need pitching, but there's more than enough uh, very viable second-tier options out there that, you know, the market, 
the free agent market is going to be so driven down. One, because mm-hmm. you know every other team is is you know feeling the hit from a, a fanless third of a season. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know the Mets are in a position to kind of go out there and get who they want at probably below market value. So you know they can go out and they can pick up a guy like Jake Odorizzi. Um, uh, boy, I had a couple of pitchers on my mind, but even into the position because they really need a, a center fielder. Looking yeah. into position players, um, George Springer's out there, and that's you know he's a Connecticut kid. Uh, he wants to leave Houston. He wants he certainly wants to um, you know get a clean slate and show that he's a, a championship level player. And the Mets just seem like such a perfect fit for him. Um, you know he's not a terrific center fielder, but that offense you know that would make this you know. The Mets already have a pretty potent offense. And Ed Springer to the mix and forget about it. Uh, I love Jackie Bradley Jr. I think that's the ideal. Because, you know, we haven't had defense in center field since Ligaris, since his yeah. prime, I guess you could say. And, you know, in his prime, he's a gold glove guy. Um, and even going back to Beltran, who was a terrific center fielder. I mean, it was just almost like a uh, – it was a hallmark of a contending team in Queens, was that you had a good, good – defensive center fielder to kind of keep everything going and you know we all know defense wins championships and that goes across any sport Mm -hmm. but you know to flip that coin and with the Wilpons in charge it's oh they're going to go for Bradley because they're going to try to get the most out of it but now that they actually have you know realistic options as to who do we want in this situation it's going to be interesting and you know that in turn kind of turns to where the trade market goes Mm -hmm. because you know you know that Brandon Nimmo is certainly going to draw interest. And, you yes. know, I, you would imagine the Mets are going to go look into the third base market. I know you have, we have other trade talks to do, but, yes. um, you know, you talk to a team like the Colorado Rockies who, you know, who came out and said that we're hurting and things are going to change. You have to assume Nolan Arenado is going to be available. Uh, Brandon Nimmo's from Wyoming. He's going to be, uh, you know, they've, they've shown interest in him in the past. You have to wonder whether Nimmo goes, they bring in Springer, and they bring in Bradley. Like, they, they just have so many options. And this is such a – it's an exciting time for the fans. It's, it's an exciting time for the team, I'm sure, because, you know, um, they're only going up from here, you have to assume. You do have to assume. And I, I think Steve Cohen walks into a very uh, – a situation where he has – I'll say it, just a ton of leverage because he's going to be a new owner who didn't have to deal with the financial drain – on his own pocketbook or on his own self during this past year. And so the free agent market's going to be depressed. That's just a fact. I mean, a perfect example is, you know, Cleveland declined the option on Brad Hand. They waived him first to see if anyone else would take him. And nobody took the leader in saves last year and claimed him for $10 million. That that should give you a good idea of what the the free agent market's going to be. But he's going to have money available in... Players are probably going to take a little bit less than they normally would because of the situation and how everything's just going to sort itself out. He's in a very enviable spot because he has money that he can just use to buy, not buy, but you know, pay multiple free agents that maybe in a regular season he might not be able to. Oh, sure. And, you know, that's the... That's the catch-22. Like, the Mets already have one of the best offenses in the league, but you want to bring things up to snuff, um, you have to be defensively capable as well. Mm-hmm. You also have to find spots for guys. And that's where kind of, you know, it's 
you kind of have to play the wait and see game and see how things shake out because they can go out and spend on whoever they want or, you know, dangle uh, current MLB players or whoever's high in the, in the farm system in trade scenarios. And, you know, I think it's going to be a step-by-step thing. And you can only assume that Sandy and Cohen and whoever else they have in mind for the front office, there's reports is going to be a president of baseball operations and a general manager under, under Sandy. So, um, you know, you have to imagine that these guys are all kind of <laughs> putting their, uh, their, uh, uh, just getting their thoughts together as far as getting their, uh, their, their ducks in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it just comes back to having options and that's a, a really, it's a luxury. Yeah. They have, I mean, the, having the richest owner of baseball in this free agent market is going to be an extreme luxury and going to be something that, uh, you normally associate with the other team in New York, uh, being able to, uh, maybe, I don't want to say overspend, but if they have the ability to and capability that they might, not they're going oh, to do wildly, be... but. Yeah, and it would be really cool if they did, but um, like you were saying, in this market, now that it's being flooded, like guys like Hand, guys who are um, getting their team options declined, this month you're going to see a bunch of non-tenders. Um, there's going to be a lot of very, very high-end talent available on the free agent market. That and you know that's going to water down the, the the market values in one aspect, and then you're going to have team owners who are still crying poor from what happened last year, and that's justifiable in some cases. Mm-hmm. But you know this is a Major League Baseball is a ten billion dollar plus a year industry. Um, you have to imagine that they can help their teams kind of stay afloat, so that the competitive edge or the competitive balance and um, everyone can kind of stay, uh, you know, stay the course you have to wonder what's really going on behind the scenes. And, you know, all they have to do is open their books and say, Hey, you show a little transparency, but because they're a private run company, they don't have to do that. And, you know, they can kind of control the narrative. Uh, I don't want to play conspiracy theorist, but it, it, it feels like collusion. It really does. These are billionaires. Mm-hmm. I think if you divide, if you divide the lost revenues by 30 teams, it's something like $180 million per team. Mm-hmm. Now these teams are making, what, however much money they're making every year. MLB, just on TV deals alone, better. You have three of them renewing in the next, I think, three years. You know, that's going to bring a cash influx, and that's going to go across the board to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, without having an economics degree, it makes – I feel like they can kind of get through this. But it's going to affect the free agent market this year. And like you said, having the richest owner in baseball by, like, threefold – <laughs> it's certainly going to give the Mets um, an advantage. And, you know, you got to wonder if one is agents, you know, I can totally see Scott Boris coming in and saying, <laughs> Oh, well, you know, I want, I want actual market value. And, you know, if you want this guy, that's what you have to say. Mm-hmm. So, you know, agents are going to have their leverage against him too, because it's no secret that Cohen has the money to spend. It's going to be interesting. And, you know, you have, such you have so many players without positions on the Mets and you know a guy like Dom Smith who's going to draw interest from other teams um he's a very capable first baseman but without the DH in the NL in the National League next year which we don't know if that's going to be in or out and I I think it's going to be in 
just because everyone agreed on it last year, but that got nullified. But, um, you know, the Mets have decisions. They have J.D. Davis, who's, you know, he can play third, he can play left field, he can play first. None of them really that well. Uh, but his bat, his, you know, his batted ball profile is elite. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you kind of have to find a spot for him. And if you can't find a spot for him, you got to get that value for him. And, you know, he's a great clubhouse guy. And Dom Smith, forget about it. He's the best clubhouse guy. He's your ultimate team player. Mm-hmm. The Mets are going to have, um, you know, they're going to have some tough decisions to make. And with a flooded free agent market, it kind of magnifies all those decisions times like 100. It, it's uh, it's going to be interesting, to say the least. Yeah, it's going to take a, a on one hand uh, evaluating the roster as it is, um, and figuring out is there a way to possibly trade players to acquire other players to complement potential free agent signings. It's going to take a lot of just realizing what they are and realizing that some of the pieces, while they're good, they don't necessarily fit. And I think that's where the Mets currently are. Uh, like, I think they have a lot of good offensive bats. But throwing guys out like J.D. Davis, Jeff McNeil, uh, they still got to deal with Robinson Cano, then Ahmad Rosario, then Dom Smith. It's like you're getting a whole bunch of guys that play a lot of the same positions <laughs> and you don't have enough spots. And from what I've seen, I don't think the D.H. will be back in the NL next year, but... I don't, I'm not sure about that. I have a feeling it will be. I guess last year when they were trying to come up with a COVID agreement to start the season, um, both the union and the league uh, agreed that the uh, DH would be implemented universally through 2020 and 2021, leading into the new CBA. Uh, once negotiations broke down and Manfred um, – implemented the season under his own terms, that agreement was nullified. Everybody's on board with it. It's been agreed upon. Um, You know, as much as the numbers, I was surprised at how the offense didn't really show much of an uptick with designated hitters in the National League last year, but it didn't really have time to kind of breathe as far as, um, you know, managers kind of finding (laughs) – working with the DH and kind of finding out how it works best for their roster. Mm-hmm. So, you know, over 162 game season, it might've worked out well, but you know, you have, like you said, you have a lot of square pegs, like a guy like Jeff McNeil who can play multiple positions, but he can play in a gold, gold glove caliber at gold glove levels, mm-hmm. um, second base left field. We've seen him play very well in center field. He's an excellent third baseman. He came up as a shortstop, so you know he's got that in him. Like he can literally play anywhere. I'm pretty sure he was the third string catcher last year too. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't suit up, but um, you know, I believe he's back there. I would love to see the day where they just stick him at all all nine positions, let him pitch in any. I don't care. That'd be fun. But he, he's a guy. You know, he's a guy that you go around. That's like that's the type of versatility that you're really looking for. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, look at Cano. Cano, he had a very nice 2020 season, but. You know, can you count on him to be that guy next year? If I'm the Mets, I'm most definitely eating money on Cano's contract and chopping him. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, if you can clear up some log jams, that's great. But, uh, you know, you have to be careful dealing away MLB-level talent because uh, the Mets have a young, controllable roster. And, sure, we don't want to think 
uh, we don't want to use Wilpon brain anymore and worry <laughs> about, um, I call it Wilpon brain. Uh, I love that term. <laughs> well, you know, it's how he's been trained to think. Oh, these guys are arbitration eligible for 2023. Like, oh, we have to take advantage of that. Second, you know, the second to last year before free agency. If we're not doing anything, we got to trade him. Like, we don't have to think like that anymore. It's beautiful. Like, they have to go out and they have to extend Conforto. That should be number one on the list. Um, I don't care that Kindergarten's coming off of surgery. Go out and, and extend him. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this is a championship core. They showed that in 2015 and they were all kids. Yeah. Now that they've, you know, matured, you know, now you can build around them. Oh, I can't tell you, bro. I cannot begin to explain how exciting this is. This doesn't happen to us ever. <laughs> uh, two things one i am adopting and bastardizing a version of wilpon brain to dolan brain for talking about the cleveland baseball team um i'm a, I'm a Knicks fan bro we can use dolan brain here uh, yeah i mean they're they're cousins so uh they, I, it's, it's, that was you who I, yeah. I had no idea that they were related you told me that i had zero idea and i'm sure you know because the Dolan family actually owns uh newsday which is the long island newspaper yeah so we would never find that out yeah, so uh, here in Cleveland, uh, it's that's what it is. As soon as a guy's got two years of arbitration left, it's time to trade him. Uh, you got to explore the trades. I mean, that's why uh, we'll, we'll get to some more trade talk about him later, but that's why people have been talking about Francisco Lindor for as long as they have. Um, oh, thank you. Yep. Uh, the other thing I was going to say, I saw, I just looked it up. There was a report from two weeks ago saying, It'll be AL only for the DH next year, but it could come back as soon as 2022. See, that was Nightingale's report? Uh, I don't rem- I just exited out my bad. Uh, no, that's okay. Don't worry about it. I know it was making its rounds. Uh, but- Lavelle E. Neal III reported this. Oh, right, this. right, right. Okay. Okay, yeah. Uh, trust me, I'm not going to trust Nightingale, okay? <laughs> no, you know, just I am... Um... I still think it will be implemented. It's just better for the game. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I hate to I hate to view players as commodities. I hate to view pitchers as as strictly assets. Yeah. But nobody nobody wants a pitcher, you know, blowing a hammy, running up first base. Nobody wants a mm-hmm. pitcher, you know, trying to bunt, which doesn't happen anymore, and breaking a finger. Like we've seen that happen twice in Queens. Mm-hmm. Ron Darling it happened to, and David Cohn it happened to, and like a, a I want to say he was eighty eight, and he took a foul he took a bunt he, he caught his fingers and broke his fingers and he couldn't you know he was done for the uh the rest of the season was that 88 I, I don't know I don't want to go off on a tangent but yeah. yeah um I don't want to see as as great a hitter as Jacob deGrom and Noah Syndergaard are um I, I don't I don't need to see them hit I don't I'd rather you know especially for a team like the Mets who have you know such a, a benefit with DH. They can play Pete Alonso and Dom Smith in the same lineup. They can get J.D. Davis' back to the lineup without mm-hmm. him being a liability on defense. Uh, there's other teams that are going to want this, and I believe it's going to come up. You know, I, I don't know how they're doing winter meetings or owner meetings this year. They're virtual. But yeah, I was going to say, they, they have to be virtual. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if, we, if they leave the winter meetings or whatever, whatever they're holding them, whatever they're calling them. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if, if the DH is back in the mix for this season, 20, 2021. I yeah. wouldn't be surprised. I agree. I mean, there's a lot of teams that were able to use flexibility uh, with the DH spot. The Mets being one of them. Uh, the Cubs were another team that were able to use right. the DH uh, 
fairly well. And it allowed some other teams to, you know, it opens up an entire new, I guess, group of players to National League teams that they might not sign because they have to play in the field. I mean, there's a reason Nelson Cruz has been in the in, been in the American League for as long as he has. It's not because he's a fantastic defender. It's because he is a DH, and that's it. And, yeah, oh, it's dingers, man. That's, that's what it is. Yeah, and if for some reason the Detroit Tigers ever find a way to move on from Miguel Cabrera, it's going to be to an American League team. But if the National League had the DH... It opens up a whole nother league where they could eat some money just to move on from Mickey. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it gives everybody options. And it was already, like, that's the whole thing. It was already agreed upon. Everybody was on board with it. It was, you know, it, I just, I can't see it falling back, falling away now just to come back next year. Um, from what I was hearing, pitchers were enjoying that hitting. Yeah, I'm sure that's not. I'm sure it's not across the board. I'm no, sure I mean, pitchers who really enjoy hitting. Yeah, I mean, look at Madison look at Bumgarner. Bumgarner, Kershaw. I mean, these guys rake. <laughs> um, you know, but and that's always cool to see. But you know, I I just I I really prefer the fluid offense. Like it took me a long time to come to that conclusion, mm-hmm. and it was before they implemented the universal DH, and I was kind of a, a loud proponent of it, at least on Mets Twitter. And I got killed for it. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? It's not real baseball. Yeah, well, you know, it, it is. And you still have, you know, because you could still pull your uh, your DH or sub out your pinch hit your DH and then you lose the DH or, you know, I'm still getting used to it. But there's still, you know, strategy to it. Mm-hmm. Sure, it's not National League Baseball. And, and I get that. And I'm a traditionalist to an extent, too. But you, you don't need to, um, you know, I just I like the offense. And I think, you know, pitchers pitching, that's what they're paid a lot of money to do. And uh, the game has just kind of evolved. I think it's evolved past it. I enjoy it. I, I always have. Watching the American League was a treat because pitchers weren't hitting. <laughs> yeah, and I think one thing, if they keep the universal DH, it will help combat the, the death of the starting pitcher a little bit because there's been many times where a National League pitcher who maybe isn't the greatest pitcher, but he's, let's say, having a good game. But all of a sudden, he comes up to the plate, and there's a runner in scoring position. It's a crucial part in the game. And they got a pinch hit, then they got to go to the bullpen. And that guy's game ended early. I mean, for as, for as well as the Tampa Bay Rays manage their entire season, we can admit them pulling Blake Snell early was a mistake. In Game Six probably. of the World Series, yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> so I know numbers, all this other stuff, but sometimes it's not about numbers; it's just about feel. Like he was untouchable, but they pulled him. Oh, cruising. But that—that's besides the point. But maybe it helps revitalize the the value of a starting pitcher compared to what has been the slow, horrible death of that position for some time now. Well, you know, it's funny because you look at a guy, I'm going to bring it back to DeGrom again. You know, DeGrom's never getting pulled after five. You know, if he's he's at 80 pitches. No, but like, you know, and Snell is your ace. Yeah. And it's it's game six of the fucking World Series. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, you don't pull your ace while he's cruising 
just because you don't want them going through the lineup a third time. Um, you know, I get it. I love analytics. I love stats. Mm-hmm. I, I, I trust stats. But I also, you know, I was born in 1983. I started watching baseball, like, you know, religiously in, like, 1991. Like, I... You know, I get the eye test. I get the old school aspect of baseball and, and, and you know, but I, I trust numbers. That's just how it is. And, um, it's a tough decision, and that falls on Cash and uh, Kevin Cash, the manager. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, I see why he did it because if you look at Snell's numbers, third time people line up, he, he's not great. Mm-hmm. But in that situation, how – on earth do you move away from him? I, I just don't get it. But, um, you know, there's going to be like your, your three through five starters mm-hmm. on most major league teams. They're giving you five innings. Yeah. You know, if they get you six or they get you seven, that's a bonus. Yeah. But you know, I guess your number three guy, you'd prefer six, even seven. Uh, yeah. But you know, you're you back know, four, in, you're five. Four and five guys. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, um, the game's evolved. Like, you know, if you, if you're comfortable, putting your number four guy out there, hundred pitches, you know, three times through the order. Mm-hmm. Great. That means you have a really deep rotation and there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, most teams, um, no, I shouldn't say most teams, but there are a lot of teams that aren't that comfortable in their number four, number five starter. Like let's say Stevie Matt slips into the Mets number five spot next year, which some people are calling for, for him to be non-tendered, but you know, he's, uh, he's, not too far removed from a very, very strong second half in 2019. Yeah. So I'm not ready to move on yet. But, um, I mean, just from an outside looking in perspective, I can't see Steven Matz going more than five innings right now. I can't see him getting out of the fourth on some nights. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, uh, when you have a guy like Seth Lugo in the bullpen or uh, even going, you know, I'm trying to think of a, a correlation to Cleveland. Um I, I, I really, Adam Plutko. I can't even, but there you go. And if you have a guy in the bullpen who can go, you know, long, you sure you piggyback, you kind yeah. of make it work. And that's, that's when your numbers are going to improve because you got, you know, every time through the lineup, they're seeing somebody new. It's, um, it's exciting. Yeah. Like there's just a, the way I've always been with it. There's a, there's a time and a place and it's about balance. You can't swing hard in either direction of analytics only or, old school feel only if you do if you're doing either you're doing you're doing it wrong it's about balancing the two and about the realization that sometimes you might need to lean a little bit harder in one of the directions but for the most part you should be down the middle you know down the middle um an even keel and again mm-hmm. i think different scenarios call for different things yeah um, it, you can't use a, a some sort of i guess a number or some sort of uh, statistic or piece of information to dictate every move in every situation. Sometimes you just need to read the situation, and sometimes it's just not a good idea to do a certain thing. Yeah, yeah, like removing Snell, no matter what the numbers say, was <laughs> a bad decision. Yes, absolutely. Um, let's get back to the Mets for a second, uh, particularly the trade market. Um, this is a very popular trade rumor. Uh, it's a, it's one that people are almost trying to will happen. 
just like how people in Cleveland willed Odell Beckham Jr. to come to the Browns from the Giants. It seems like Mets fans everywhere trying to get their revenge, who are also Giants fans, on Cleveland by trying to will Francisco Lindor to the Mets. And can I say, this just seems to make so much sense for both teams, because not only do the Mets have uh, the ability to offer Cleveland a good trade package, they could sign him to a long-term extension upon acquiring him. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a franchise player, and he's coming off of a down year, mm-hmm. um, at least for his standards. Um, you know, he's a five-tool guy. I, I was on with Joe Pantorner of AM New York yesterday on my own pod, and uh, he put it well. He's like, this is a guy that you kind of build around, and the Mets are in the position that they can bring him in, and he's just kind of adding to the mix. He's adding to the recipe, and uh, that's a that's a hell of a guy to add to the to the mix there. So, um, the question in my mind is, what is it going to take to get him um, mm-hmm. to get him in Queens? And you know, what what are the what do the Indians need? Well, um, they declined the options on Carlos Santana and Cesar Hernandez. Uh, so, first base and second base. Uh, they declined. I, I don't want to cut you off. They declined the the, the option on Hernandez. Yep. That's surprising. He had such a nice year. He had a good year, but he was expensive. That's the thing. Is that Cleveland is a team that is that let's 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 set aside the uh, owners uh, actually have money or just being cheap. Let's set that aside. Okay. Uh, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they were a team that was obviously very much affected by this past season, how there were no fans, and that the season was significantly shorter than usual. Uh, Cesar Hernandez essentially played his way out of having another season in Cleveland because of how well he was and how well he performed. So, you hate to see that. It, oh, it, it really sucks. That. It really does. Maybe they can discuss a, a new deal with him, but... <laughs> Everything went well with the signing of Cesar Hernandez, but it went so well that he's played himself out of their range in terms of signing a free agent. Oh, that's a shame. We saw him coming up in Philly, and I was very impressed with him. And I think me and you on, on your show, mm-hmm. we uh, when before the season started, I said, keep an eye out. He's a really, really nice player. I'm, I'm happy that he had a good season, but... Boy, that sucks to get, it, you know, kind of loopholed out of there. That's just, it, that sucks. But it, back, it, back, to, back to Frankie Lindor. <laughs> yeah. It, well, one last thing. It does suck because their first four guys in the lineup were all switch hitters, and that was so much fun to watch. Um, oh, my God. Because <laughs> it, was, it was Lindor, Hernandez, Ramirez, and Santana, and that was just so much fun to watch. But uh, two of those guys are now free agents. One might be on his way to a different team, possibly the Mets and Queens. Um so their needs are obviously first base, second base. Um, uh, I don't know what they would do at shortstop. They did have the midseason trade with the Padres, where they acquired a ton of middle infielders, uh, some closer to the major league level. Uh, but of course, outfield's always a need for Cleveland. So it, it, it's basically uh, everything but third base in catcher and pitching. <laughs> well, you know, you have to assume that after the season that Jimenez had, um, 
and and he's capable of playing shortstop, second base, very you know Gold Glove levels at both. I mean, I'm pretty sure he finished in the top you know top upper percentiles of uh, outs above average in Statcast in uh, in the infield rankings this year. But don't don't quote me on that. But um, you know, I think that would be a nice fit. Um, I know as a as a Mets fan and a Mets blogger who's paid attention to Andre Jimenez's professional career leading up to his major league debut. Um, you know, seeing him go would be tough, but again, to bring in a guy like uh, like Lindor, I guess you have to make tough decisions. Yes. First base, um, you know, you can pretty much take Alonzo off the board, but again, going back to Dom Smith, I think mm-hmm. that I, I'm, you know, as a fan, as a big fan of Dom Smith, uh, I'm very worried that, you know, he's going to be the guy that Cleveland wants. And, and he, honestly, looking at Cleveland's, uh, their options at first base, they're not great. Um, Bobby Bradley's been like the the guy everyone in Cleveland's been waiting for. You know, he's got the nickname, the assassin. He's you know, Is that he, really his nickname? It's his nickname. Um, that's awesome. Oh, that's so cool. That is cool. I have but, a, I, you, you know I collect baseball cards. Yeah. I have a shitload of Bobby Bradley cards. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so, so Bobby Bradley uh, mashes in AAA, but when we saw him for a brief time in 2019, ooh, he was overmatched. I mean, the issue with him is he strikes out a ton. So he's basically the literal version of three true outcomes. It's strikeout, home run, or walk. As fun as that is, I mean, it's just... For an offense that already does that a ton, adding another guy to that mix is not great. And he seemed overmatched. And to be honest with you, with the struggles that they had this year offensively for the majority of the season, the fact that he did not even get mentioned once says a lot, in my opinion, about how they view him and whether or not they think he's going to contribute in the future. Uh, Another guy who can play first is Jake Bowers. I liked Jake Bowers. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he can hit, though. Uh, Just like Bradley, not even mentioned once this entire year when the offense was struggling. Uh, The difference with, um, I guess, Bowers instead of Bradley is that Bowers can at least play the outfield, and their outfield was terrible. But again, didn't get mentioned once. Um, Even though they've tried so many different players to uh, try and promote some offense and it, it just it really did not happen uh they tried Domingo Santana and that was just the 2020 version of Hanley Ramirez uh a disaster <laughs> uh, or, or Carlos Gonzalez because he spent a, a brief time in Cleveland but looking at it from the big picture they don't have a, a guy you can say yes this is their first baseman next year on their roster uh some people think maybe Josh Naylor is a, a future first baseman, but man, I'd rather have. I like have, Josh Naylor. I like Josh Naylor a lot too, and he had that fantastic start uh, in their their quick postseason exit. But I'd rather have him in the outfield if he can play the outfield because their outfield options are straight garbage. <laughs> right yeah, <now. laughs> and Reyes Reyes is kind of sitting in your in the DH spot for the time being, right? Because there's really no spot for him. Well, he plays a decent outfield, but not great. Yeah, he's basically their DH. Uh, he can. He was originally slated to attempt to play the outfield this year, but then uh, the world ended for a brief moment in time, 
and that uh, <laughs> that I think derailed their plans for him being in the outfield really all that much, um, just because the games were that much more important, and they didn't want to deal with someone who was necessarily not that great in to begin with in the outfield, and someone who's not necessarily experienced in playing in their outfield or American League outfield. Maybe that changes next year, but. Man, that guy just seems to be like their DH moving forward. So, real. Oh, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I had a, just a quick question on Bradley because, um, just looking at his stats here, I mean, he's a he's a high round draft pick. He reminds me of Dom Smith. He's a high round draft pick. He's not the contact guy that Dom Smith is. He's more of the power guy, Bradley. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, Dom. It took him a while to really kind of adjust to the major league game mm-hmm. and people were getting impatient. And I kind of see the same trajectory for Bradley, just looking at the numbers and you're right. He strikes out a bunch. It's like 25% of the time he strikes out, but yeah. um, you know, I think give this guy a, you know, consistent appearances, uh, consistent, you know, opportunities to face major league pitching. And I don't know. I have faith that these numbers can translate. And I think that would be a nice addition. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys said you're losing Santana, right? Yeah, Santana's a free agent. So, I mean, yeah. listen, uh, most of the way I have viewed Bradley, and I'll be honest here, has been through the perspective of where Cleveland's been the past couple of years, and that was a contender that needed a reliable bat. Okay? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. With where they're going, where it seems like they're going now, which is uh, the not-fun route, um... They can give him a chance, and I won't be mad about it, because they don't need, well, they do need, but it's not crucial to them, because they're not going to be, they're they're probably not going to win the division next year, or or the year after, if if things go the way that we all think they're going to go. And so, if that's the case, sure, play Bobby Bradley at first base all the time, okay? And let's see, let's see what happens, let's see what he does. But where they were and where they're going to be now are two completely different, I guess, realms baseball-wise. So, yeah, they can afford to give them a chance now. All right. So that quells a little bit of my concerns regarding Dom Smith. Um, How about a guy like Brandon Nimmo, who, you know, on-base king, he does, that's all he does. He gets on base, he draws walks. Um, He didn't have such a hot year with the bat average-wise starting out last year, but uh, he really did pick up over the, over the last month of the season. You know, Mets fans love him. Yes. But, uh, again, he's going to be a hot commodity. He's a very good set, uh, corner outfielder, mm-hmm. not a extremely strong defensive center fielder, but can play center field. Um, you have to wonder whether he draws interest from Cleveland. I would imagine he would. Uh, as you know, uh, Cleveland does value their – they're on base guys. Uh, they brought back Carlos Santana for a reason, because uh, uh, yeah, right. he, he gets on base. Um, but you know, looking at their their outfield, uh, you know, their center field's not going to be necessarily a, a must need. It would be if they can do something, please do it. Because um, watching Oscar Mercado and Delano De Shields this past year was brutal. Um, Delano De Shields is. Uh, I don't want to say uh, a fan unfavorite in Cleveland, but uh, he's not. He's closer to that than fan favorite. Um, it, 
whether fair or not, uh, that part of that came from him being part of the return for Corey Kluber. Uh, the other part was uh, he can't hit. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna I'm just gonna pull up so I don't forget anybody on uh, their roster for outfielders because um, they have Josh Naylor. Uh, they have Jordan Luplo, Framio Reyes, DeShields, Mercado. Naquin, I don't think is going I, to be back. I don't not. I don't know what Luplo is, what they're going to do with him. But a lot of their outfield plans this past year was basically try and have platoon sp- splits in the corners and uh, just go left right on a lot of these guys, but. If they can find, a, obviously they can find an improvement in center field, they can, but they just need an outfielder because uh, if Nemo could be that corner outfielder that, you know, will keep uh, uh, Reyes at DH and Naylor in the other corner or first base, whatever they're going to do with him, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind it at all. Yeah. And so like, you know, what, what would an ideal... I don't want to say a full trade package yeah. from indoor, like from a Cleveland point of view, but yeah. what do you, you know, who who are the guys that you think Indians fans or the Indians as an organization would be, um, would be asking for? Well, definitely at least one player uh, with major league experience, uh, possibly a second, um. And at least a, a high prospect, or if they don't get two major league guys, one guy that's a major league caliber and a couple of high prospect type guys, uh, just you know, be. The, the, just, sorry, I was going to uh, say the Mets, the Mets have a couple of high profile, um, recently drafted arms. Um, you know, Josh Wolf comes to mind. I, I would like to say Matthew Allen's untouchable, but you mm-hmm. know, again, for Lindor. How, who could you really designate as untouchable? It, he takes your franchise to another level. Yes, and that's where I'm, I'm looking at in this particular way is that for, from the Mets' point of view, they need to be like, you don't get the chance to acquire somebody like this all that often. And they have the money to offer him a contract extension. So the, the shortstop position would be locked up for know a decade <laughs> you know what i mean yeah, so they don't sure. necessarily need some of these i guess younger guys in there so i, I know the sny tweet that was uh posted earlier today of you know andres menez jd davis ronnie mauricio uh you said they probably wouldn't do that but i would imagine cleveland would probably try to get something similar to that uh, in my opinion you yeah I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was say you said you, you don't think that they would include like Mauricio and Jimenez in the same deal, but you, you never know. Oh sure. I mean, I, I just I honestly couldn't see Cleveland saying, "Yeah, we're going to take two high end shortstops who are both kind of pegged to be maybe a year away from each other as far mm-hmm. as development wise." You know, Mauricio, if he if they get a full minor league season in this year, he could be ready by the start of 2022. But you know, where do you put him? You know, Rosario, um, very, he's still very young. He's still, um, again, not very far removed from a very strong showing uh, through 2019. 
at least, you know, through like the last three quarters, like May on, he was just a different ball player. He was outstanding. Um, you know, even shipping a guy like Rosario back, Rosario Davis and a high-end pitching prospect, you know, um, you plug Rosario right into shortstop. Uh, this is a guy who could possibly shift into center field. Mm-hmm. I know the, the Mets have kind of hoped to give him chances out there. You have to kind of um, wonder what gets the job done. And if they're looking for, you know, either Jimenez or Mauricio, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you have to do what you have to do. But, you know, you can go – I know some people brought up Brett Beatty, who's a third-base prospect, who's a, a very polished um, hitter. Mm-hmm. We spoke on, on my pod, we spoke with uh, Dennis Cook, former lefty for the Mets back in 2000, who was Brady, uh, Brett Beatty's high school coach. And he said he's never seen a high school hitter who, who has that, the, the profile that Beatty does. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm, I'm hesitant to part with a, a highly touted guy like that, but it comes back to the same thing. If it's for Lindor, um, you kind of, you know, you have to give to get. Yeah, and that, that's essentially what it is. You know, I know a lot of people have been trying to put together trade packages and scenarios for Lindor uh, for the past two years or so. And uh, they've varied from um, only benefiting the team acquiring Lindor to absolutely just uh, completely ridiculous from uh, any other perspective. But let me let me throw a uh, let me let me throw a, a wild card into here. And the Mets are a team who probably needs another pitcher, right? Sure. Always, <laughs> always needs another pitcher, and there's a there's a pitcher in Cleveland who's about to become a little expensive, and with the new owner in Queens, maybe he's willing to pay the you know twelve million dollars salary he's going to have ne- this year and next year and the fourteen million dollar vested in twenty twenty three. For as much as I hate to say that they probably should consider this because of their salary situation, but Carlos Carrasco. I've heard that name tossed around a bunch today. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, that SNY tweet was kind of bouncing around. And, you know, everyone's, I, you know, Cookie's a a fun pitcher. His his off-speed stuff is dazzling. Mm -hmm. Um, He locates his fastball very well. And it's a contract I think any team who's looking for starting pitching, um, would you say around twelve million? I think that's yeah, a, tw- twelve million. You know, that's justifiable mm-hmm. for a guy who can be, you know, give you number two stuff in the number three hole. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't look to him as, you know, the guy to slide in behind Degrom. But let's say if Stroman doesn't accept a qualifying offer, and if the Mets decide to pass on Bauer, and you know, you're just going to fill out two through four with. Um, you know, number two guys. Mm-hmm. Carrasco is that that he's he's certainly a viable number three man. I would not be against that. Yeah. But um, yeah. Again, it's gonna it's all gonna come down to how the Mets want to handle this. Yeah. Because you know, there's gonna be uh, there's gonna be a lot of options. Mm-hmm. And from what I've seen, people in Cleveland talk about salary wise, they're thinking that. 
their whole salary situation next year is going to be like at 30% of what it was coming into this year. Like it's going to be just slashed. And as we've seen, they've already <laughs> made some some massive cuts on their end to get themselves out <laughs> from some contracts that are long-term deals. So it's not necessarily <clears throat> out of the question for them to, let's say, pair up Lindor and Carrasco and send them to the, send them to the Mets and acquire some less expensive, controllable talent because the, the Mets are in a, let's be honest, a contention window. They're they're at a, they're at a time where they should probably be going for it, and if Cleveland can uh, find a way uh, from their perspective to get rid of what would essentially be ninety million dollars in salary that they have dedicated, I would imagine they would do it. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you know, especially in these times, that has mm-hmm. to be an option. Um. You know, I, it all comes down to the Mets feel that they can fill out their rotation with better, better options. And um, you know, I think at this point in the process, it's really hard to to gauge that because, like we said earlier, you know, in a couple of weeks, there's going to be what maybe a dozen more guys, at least a dozen more pitchers out on the market. Um, you just with non-tenders and, and such, you have to assume that the trade, you know, the trade market's going to heat up in other areas. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, again, he, he, I think he would, Carrasco would be a, an excellent fit just for the needs of the Mets have. But um, oh, man, I don't envy being Sandy this off season and having to make all. I really don't. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just happy to sit back and say, all right, bring bring us our team. <laughs> oh, let me let me make a correction. That was a that was the wrong number that Sport Track had on there. It's sixty six million. Uh. For their contracts, I, that was from last, including last year's Lindor's money and Carrasco's money, so significantly less, but still. <laughs> uh, oh no, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's still a hefty investment. Yeah, I mean, because Lindor is arbitration estimate is nineteen and a half million. Then you got the the allocated money to, to Carrasco, and I mean, as things currently stand, according to SportTrack, their total payroll allocation for. 2021 is 57.25 million. Well, that actually works out well for the Mets because they don't have a whole lot of money on the on the books for next season. David Wright's money finally came off this year. Yoana mm-hmm. uh, Cespedes came off. That, uh, that's good. Jacob Degrom, yeah, yeah, that was um, that was a hefty one. Jacob Degrom makes, uh, I think he gets a big hefty raise this year. Where's my payroll chart? There we go. Of course, you have Cano, twenty-four million. But where's my, you know, uh, Conforto? You have to assume is going to go up. Where's Degrom? Here we go. Degrom jumps up from twenty-one point seven last year to thirty-seven point five in twenty twenty-one. So um, that's going to be a hefty, uh, a hefty increase. Mm-hmm. Um, Betantis just opted back in for six point eight million, which it That's a bargain. You know. Do you think so? I think that the the reliever market is gonna be so driven down this year. 
It's going to um, be driven you know, down, but I think he's a good enough pitcher that he will prove to be worth the six point eight million. Because I'm not looking at from this, I'm not looking at from this year's perspective. I'm looking at it from where it will go after this season. Will he give you six point eight million dollars worth of pitching quality and pitching performance for this season, where he will be making more than that next year? If he stays healthy, yeah, I think if he stays healthy, because we saw him. In between injuries this season, he had six consecutive starts that he was Betances. He didn't really, didn't allow a run. He was striking guys out. Mm-hmm. His velocity was almost there. I don't think he broke 97 or 96 even throughout the year. Maybe got him hit 97 a couple of times. But um, he looked like Betances again, and mm-hmm. it was exciting. But then, you know, another shoulder impingement, and he was, you know, cooked for the year. He came back right at the end. Um you know, if you can get Batantes or close to it, or like that level of pitcher, then yeah, of course it's a bargain. Just yeah. uh, I think the relief pitcher market, you're gonna you know, we're gonna see really really great pitchers um, or great players across the board who are gonna be signing for a lot less money than we're used to seeing. I think yeah. it's gonna be um, shocking. Yeah. So I'm, I just pulled up uh, Cleveland's historical payroll here. Just two years ago, $151 million in 2019. Last year, 101 And like I said, what the roster currently has is 52 and a half. So half of what it was last year, a third of where it was two years ago, and it's only trending downwards. Uh, so that's going to be fun. Uh, but, <laughs> but look, I mean... Let's be honest here. Francisco Lindor, it, he had trade rumors on him the moment he got called up to the big leagues. Okay, that's just that's just this is how it's gone. As soon as he got called up, people have been trying to figure out a way to trade him to a, a big city, big market, anywhere but Cleveland, essentially. Um, in the way I look at it, for Carlos Carrasco, as much as the organization loves him, the fans love him, you know they got behind him when he had leukemia. He might be making too much money for 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 them as an organization to tr- attempt and try to field a competitor. Uh, a term has been used many times with Cleveland, uh, threading the needle. They've been doing that for about two years now. Uh, it really seems like they're really going to try to do it one more time. Not entirely bottom out, but not necessarily be a division winner either is where I, I kind of see where they're going to be next year. I don't know what your read on them is. Well, I guess that's the ideal rebuild is not falling into the basement, but still being able to kind of retool and restock and even kind of change the direction or change the culture a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in a totally different respect, I think that's kind of where the Mets are at. They were kind of meandering for so long under Will Pond, um, who, you know, didn't really commit to winning because whether they weren't financially capable of doing that or just, you know, kind of enjoyed the the beauty of making a little bit of money because their payroll wasn't inflated uh you know whichever way they look at it and i'm sure for cleveland it's it's a it's a you know it's kind of a derivative of that um you know it's it's a slippery slope because you have to almost you have to feign contention if that makes sense yes it does right okay good it makes so used to it yeah, it, it makes a ton of sense, and that's that's to be honest, that's where Cleveland was this past year. Uh, 
That's yeah. where they were. Uh, kind of almost well, I, the year before, but they were they were still good. But it it's. I, do you think trading Lindor would be like waving the white flag, or is there still enough talent in Cleveland that if they get you know a package with some major league ready players, they can kind of hit the ground running? It, it depends. Uh, some major league ready players, yes. Uh, it depends on where or what the call-up schedule for Nolan Jones is. He's like their top prospect. And he plays third he's, base. He's been, he's been in that spot for so long, hasn't he? Uh, he, he has been, but he's been in there because he, he's been young. He got slotted up as their top prospect when he was young. So he's been okay. sitting there top. It's not, like, it's not like he's been sitting there for three years at AAA being their top prospect. Everyone's going, ooh, yes. And it's like, oh, shit. Uh, this is Trevor Crow. Um, <laughs> uh, or, you know, he's just not any good. Or, oh, oh look at this awesome prospect we got. And, oh, look, Matt Laporta. Uh, it's it's somebody it's somebody that's been up there and he's was up there when he was young. So the call-up schedule for him. What was that? Dude, if you, if, you, if you pulled a Matt Laporta out of your pack of Bowman baseball cards, like, that was a hit, bro. Like, that was a big card, you know. Not all of them, you got to remember, not all of them pan out. But Matt Laporta was a big one. That brought me right back when you said his name. I wanted Matt Laporta to work. So I wanted him to, to be, like, everything that I wanted him to be, and it just, he wasn't. It it, it, yeah. it stunk. I mean, I mean yeah. the, the other thing that stinks about that is because we had to trade CC Sabathia, and we got Laporta. Yeah. And it just... I- and he's forever, and maybe, you know, you never know. Sometimes these guys who come over in those big deals, you know, imagine being in their shoes. Like, holy shit, I got traded for CC Sabathia. I better do something. You know, once that gets in your head, that's got to be dangerous. Yeah, I mean, but... Especially the, for such a, such a cerebral sport. The the bright side of that trade is that it, it got them Michael Brantley. So, right. <laughs> Matt Laporta stunk, but Michael Brantley was awesome. <laughs> He really was. Oh my god! Before he got hurt, he was amazing, and he's still he's still a terrific hitter. Yeah. But before he got hurt, oh my god, him and uh, who was your center fielder? What the hell was his name? Grady Sizemore. Grady Sizemore. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Those. Yeah. That that was a fun fun era in Indians baseball. Yeah. So it, it's funny you brought up Grady Sizemore because he was part of another trade involving a, a high profile player, a pitcher. Uh, your your buddy, former Met Bartolo Colon, uh, but they got they traded Bartolo Colon to the Expos. They got Sizemore, Cliff Lee, Brandon Phillips out of that. Right, right, right. So oh, what a, that's a return. Holy shit! If if we're sensing a, a trend here, it's they trade a high profile player and they're able to get a, a good return out of it. And so, yeah. uh, the, the next year after trading uh, CC Sabathia to the Brewers, they trade Cliff Lee to the Phillies. They got Carlos Carrasco back in that deal. Nice. Oh, I so, love the, little, the trade spiders, the little trade webs. I love those. Yeah. And they traded, uh, I believe it was Casey Blake to the Dodgers. Okay. Uh, and that's how they got Carlos Santana. Yeah, let me, let me take a look here. 
Yeah. It's funny, the chain of events that can, you know, the Mets, uh, you know, they, they ate Bobby Benitez's money. They pay him every year so they can get Mike Hampton. Mike Hampton left. The compensation pick was David Wright. David Wright's money coming off the books this year is going to turn into somebody else. And it's, uh, yeah, you know, the makes of the world go round. Yeah, so you you look at that trade. They, it was Casey Blake, and they got back Carlos Santana. Back in 2010, there was a three-team trade where Cleveland sent Jake Westbrook to the Cardinals. And coming back from the San Diego Padres, a very common trade partner of Cleveland, was Corey Kluber. All right. Okay. Okay. So if we if we follow here, there's a theme. It's when they are trading a higher profile player, they generally end up on the right side of the trade at the end of the time. You know what I mean? As time goes on. Not to say a trade of Lindor to the Mets is going to turn out to be a, a disaster for the Mets. It's not going to turn out necessarily getting Edwin Diaz and Cano and giving up, you know, what they did to get those two. But oh, you you just did me so dirty, bro! Oh I, my god, I'm not saying that's, I'm not saying that's gonna happen. What I'm just saying is no, that no. Cleveland's a team that, and you trust them until they give you a reason not to when they do a trade. <laughs> it's all too familiar for a Mets fan, you know. So they have a history of trading away a a good player and getting at least one good player in return. So until yeah. until they give you a reason not to to trust them, and if there's a reason to possibly not trust them, it might be Corey Kluber to the Rangers. But that trade was a wash for both teams, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, uh, well, Kluber's back on the market this year. I, that's a guy that I would certainly be willing to take a flyer on if I'm the Mets. Oh, Mets should definitely take a flyer on him. Uh, I mean, yeah. that would be a I don't know what he's looking for money-wise or what he's uh, expecting role-wise, but or if he's even considering himself as in the flyer market, which I think he probably should, considering he's only pitched something like, I don't know, 12 innings the past two years. Yeah, right, just injuries and stuff, and that's kind of where Strowman comes in. Like, he's, he has a chance to pull, you know, $19 million through a qualifying offer, and this goes for any other players on the qualifying offer mm-hmm. um, or jump out into the market with not a lot of uh, recent, you know, track record to, mm-hmm. to show. And when he has pitched, he's pitched well, but um, you know, between injuries and stuff, it's going to be tough for him to gain leverage. And I think Kluber's in the same boat. Yeah. I think you have to kick the tires. This guy's still um, a certainly a viable option. Yeah. Uh, 36.2 innings. He pitched more in his, in 2019 for Cleveland. Than I thought he did. Uh, yeah, he fractured his arm uh, in that season, so not his fault on that one. It was a comebacker. Uh, oh, but, right, right. Yeah, but last year was a back injury, and just I think he's in flyer territory. To be honest with you, he's he's someone who's dealt with injuries. Uh, but. If they can't, if the Mets can't find, uh, if they don't end up with a Trevor Bauer or uh, Cleveland doesn't end up trading Carlos Carrasco along with Lindor, which I think they probably should to maybe get some better return from the Mets. Um, sure. Because they don't necessarily need pitching in Cleveland right now. 
Um, yeah, I was going to say, they're pretty much straight there. <laughs> yeah, because they got Bieber, they got Plesak, they got Savale. I mean, it's a pretty uh, good... Karinczak, right? Uh, you know, Karinczak's great reliever. He's future closer. Uh, Tristan McKenzie, I mean... Yeah, McKenzie's nasty. Yeah, they've got pitching. Uh, Emmanuel Classe coming back from a PED suspension. Uh, right. So uh, they don't necessarily need pitching. Man, you know, a couple of relievers in there. Uh, wouldn't hate if they brought Oliver Perez back for round three. Uh, <laughs> uh, but a couple of relievers, uh, but they don't need pitching. So if they had to end up trading an expensive Carrasco to get a little bit better return from the Mets, I wouldn't necessarily hate it. And I'm pretty sure you would probably be happy with a franchise shortstop, a third pitcher <laughs> to throw in, in your rotation. And uh, to say that, yes, the Mets are finally here, we're ready to contend, uh, let's go to the postseason, let's go win a World Series. Yeah, I think that's the, uh, that's the carrot that's been dangled in front of us for so long. So let's, uh, yeah, let's get to that. And if, you know, I, I think that there's no doubt that Lindor and Carrasco would certainly, you know, put them well on their way to achieving their goal. And um, you know what? If the Mets have to include some really good players in the deal, kind of how the cookie crumbles. Ah, you mm-hmm. see what I did there with mm-hmm. Carrasco and cookie crumbles? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it, it's, you know, it would also free up some of the log jams they have at their upper level, um, you know, on the major league roster as far mm-hmm. as position, not enough guys. So, you know, it's kind of a deal that makes sense. So, uh, yeah, I put, the, I put complete faith in the Mets front office. Again, something I've never said in my entire life. But I really do. I put complete faith in this new regime that they're going to do what's best for the Mets. And, it, you know, it's all so new. This is just so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely crazy time we're living in. It's 2020. Fans are putting uh, faith in the, man's, the Mets front office and that the team's going to spend. Uh, you definitely know it's been a weird set of circumstances when that is happening. 2020, man.